How's it going, Charisse? It's all right. It's all right. Um, post UC, post unexpected connections, the event that Macon and Intertrend did together, finally caught up on sleep, have a regular nice. sleeping, eating, working out schedule again. I feel nice. way healthier than a week ago. Yeah. I mean, for people that are unfamiliar or this is your first time tuning in this podcast, we held a digital conference last weekend. Well, by the, I mean, based on when we're recording this, it was last weekend. We held it on June 6th. Yeah. I have now learned don't call dates in reference to like where you are located in time because on the off chance we don't edit this until a month later, like our last episode, you'll, you guys will have no idea when last weekend was. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and my co-host, Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Makin, which is original storytelling at its purest through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. For us, Making It Up is a weekly exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some kind of conclusion in order to be helpful to our listeners, but really we are working through things and we appreciate you working through them with us. If you like what you hear and want to help us keep on going, it really means a lot if you support us on patreon.com slash kind of fascinating i don't know if i'm the only one but i really like the debriefing process that comes with doing a project or an event and to nitpick and analyze where things could have gone better i mean i feel like that's where all the learning happens right like literally in the last two weeks running up to the event there is no time to learn anything you're you're just doing things at to the best of your ability and to the best of like your team's ability and and that's fine. Like, that's what is needed, right? Like, you just have to yeah. keep moving forward and produce and execute. And then, like, after it's done, like, that's when you're like, okay, now we get whatever it is, like, six months, one year until the next event. So instead of just, like, celebrating and moving on to the next project, like, we just have to be yeah. a little bit critical about looking at ourselves. Yeah. So I think, like, for the event, you know, there's obviously the celebration of, like, pulling something off and like seeing that impact in the world. But I think internally what's really beneficial is not just hosting the event, but you know looking at it afterwards and seeing the ways, you know, you want to change. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely learn a lot through these. There's two things. It's like, first and foremost, the interesting speakers are kind of on a, on a micro level. It's like the people that you curate, the people that you bring in are hopefully going to, engage you in a way that you know you hadn't thought of before or introduce new ideas or thoughts the second part is maybe a little bit more selfish where it's the acknowledgement that the world is changing and that the future of these events is probably going to be more along the lines i'm not i'm not going to say it's going to replace physical events but there will probably be another layer that will develop and grow that is in the realm of digital events and how do you become really good at throwing a good digital event Right. I don't even think it's just like, how do you become good at throwing a digital event? But I think it's like understanding what are the capabilities of a digital event and what are the limitations? And then how do we kind of work around that? You know, so it's not like there's this like perfect digital event that exists and we're like striving to like, you know, hit that mark. But it's more like 
if these are our goals as an event period, you know, how do we use the tools that we have and post that? And it's just like more obvious to everyone, like how you would achieve those goals when it's a physical event. Yeah, totally. But we're not supposed to be doing a postmortem right now. Like that's not what this episode is. Yeah, sounds good. Let's get right into it then. My subject this week is how to raise a million bucks for charity with t-shirts, according to Brain Dead's Kyle Ng. So what happened is that on June 3rd, Kyle Ng of Brain Dead released a t-shirt that he had teamed up with Dev Hines, otherwise known as Blood Orange, um, to make. And they released it for pre-sale for 48 hours and saying 100% of the proceeds would go to M4BL and LGBTQ fund. And then it just like blew up in terms of people who wanted to contribute. By the next day, they were up to 300,000. I'm just going to read the caption on that post where they shared that they were up to 300,000. This is real. We, all of our supporters, as well as DevHind supporters, will not stand for this bullshit anymore. We all can talk, but can we also walk? Take real action. No more marketing BS or strategizing. No more silence. It should be a gut reaction to be out there and help where you can. To all businesses, small and large, don't be afraid of losing supporters or burning relationships for standing up for what you believe. Trust me, there's only one side to stand behind in our eyes. I love you guys and I love the worldwide community. FYI, moving forward, we need to be doing this during times of turmoil as well as peaceful times. Don't let capitalism make you greedy. So there is actually an article that I think is worth reading on this subject. It was written by Cam Wolf and it's published in GQ. It's essentially a written, I don't know if they went on the phone or not, but it's an interview with Kyle. Ng, and I just read one quote from his Instagram, but honestly, like so many quotes from Kyle in this are really good. I think like I picked this because for the two of us, we've been talking so much privately about Black Lives Matter and how Macon is supporting the movement or what Macon should be doing to support the movement. And I think that Brain Dead and Kyle Ng is a great example of what a brand can do. And yep. Kyle expresses some like really clear cut thoughts on like where he thinks brands should be right now and what they should be, what action they should be taking. I don't, I don't know if, if you're going to get to it or not, but I think there's just been a very interesting way around the whole fundraising process that's been brought to light currently. And looking at the way that a t-shirt can move this many units versus just the sort of efficacy of straight donations, I'm really interested to see the sort of, not, it's, not really, it's not really pitting one against the other, right? But it's just understanding which vehicle, aka a t-shirt versus a straight donation is the better option in any given circumstance. Like I don't really have an answer, but I just know that it seems much easier for someone to donate I say donate in air quotes, but put down 50 bucks or whatever for a t-shirt that they'll, with a product in return versus donating $50 straight to the agency. I think what's interesting is that when you do that, the consumer can just get the product. They don't actually have to really be as in support of that organization that you are giving to because they get something out of it. And mm -hmm. what you do with the money is kind of like up to you but obviously mm -hmm. there will be a large part of your audience that really cares about what you're doing and like want to contribute 
but I'm sure there's like a swath of people that also just like think the product is cool and don't think too much about wh- what are you going to do with the money afterwards. Because ultimately, it doesn't really matter if you care about the initiative. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's more about the belief of the brand and making sure they achieve their beliefs. Weirdly, or at least- I bet if you had it linked where you, if it was linked up so that if you gave a direct donation directly to M4BL and then they sent you like a free t-shirt, it would actually get less money, which isn't that funny. Yeah. I think the psychology behind that is really interesting. The other thing I was thinking was, what if your ability to buy the t-shirt was linked to a donation? Kind of like your point of entry is by donating to the food bank, which you see sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you had to show a receipt, but I still feel like that would get less money. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who else has done a, like a psychological study on that. Somebody should. But there is something there- else on the donation aspect I think is interesting that I was going to share was that. The whole project started because Kyle went out in L.A. to help clean up the streets and to clean the community. And then after that day, he reached out to a brand that he didn't disclose. And he said to the brand, hey, let's do a project together and launch it right now to donate to the rebuilding of L.A. and cleaning up the community. And the brand said, hey, we want to do something, but we're not ready. We got to strategize. Like, so like, let us get back to you. And then Kyle was like, I'm not going to wait, basically. He was like, I'm going to yeah. just reach out to Dev Hines. And then they made a t-shirt like that night, launched it the next day. But did he, was he saying that sort of to throw shade or just more like, I can't wait? It, it's kind of both. Like he says in the interview that he's not throwing shade, but he's not throwing shade at like that specific brand necessarily. But he was just saying like, like his observation of what's happening right now is that it's really of the people. And like his answer in this GQ interview was like, people felt that energy. It was almost a subconscious energy and you could tell it wasn't coming from some corporate campaign or structure. Right now, the people are really the strength and if you support the people, they'll support you. So it's more like him making this, he's not really trying to throw shade on the brand for like not supporting him so much as he's like observing this energy, like actually maybe part of the reason the donations did come in so much is because it wasn't like a converse brain dead collab. It was clearly like, Kyle, mm, the person, yeah. and Dev Hines as friends being like, we got to do something. We got to do something now. Yeah. No, for sure. I, I, I don't know if it's a corporate, but I could see a corporate dragging their feet over this. Like I had a conversation yesterday with uh, a big brand and I was like, hey, you have this campaign upcoming. Why don't you find a way to link this with the current energy around you, right? And make this an increasingly more positive thing. But since it's not one person, like a founder operator, like in the, in the case of Kyle Ng and Braindead, you need to go through so many layers to see if you're even able to do it. So, you know, we talked about this briefly on the Discord server. It's like, there's, interestingly enough, this, it's not really um a newfound mystique so much as an interest in the founder operator brands out there because they just represent something more authentic and real. Like, I think the this is maybe the nerdy thing, but I really just appreciate the copy, the way that Kyle's communicated this, right? Where it was, you could tell it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like he probably labored over this for five hours and then sent it to, you know, a bunch of people to vet. It feels like it was just a very unique and honest perspective of how we saw the world. 
Yeah, and he has. That I'm not saying he wrote it either. Yeah, I'm not saying he wrote that either. But you know, the it very much is a representation of Kyle. Like, if you've met Kyle before, it's totally like in his lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might not be Kyle himself typing it out, but like with like you're saying with owner operator companies brands, like you have that flexibility. I mean, you have that flexibility too with Macon. You can write. Yeah, like we kind of have want. that flexibility. We did. You yeah. just have less hoops to jump through. It's it's pro con. Right. Like, I'm not trying to say, like, therefore, you know, only owner operator companies need to exist from now on. I think like big companies, big corporate brands can do they have they obviously have the money to, like, make change in a big way quickly. But there does seem to be rising power for yeah. those small owner operator shops. I would think it was something that was going to happen regardless of whether or not protests and COVID hit. It was just accelerated, just like every other, like not every other thing, but a lot of other industries are being accelerated by this. Yeah. I feel like I should say what the t-shirt looks like, just in case anyone is curious. Okay, so it's a plain black t-shirt and, well, there's actually two versions of this, but one of them is, um, has like the blood orange logo over the pocket on the chest. And then the back says, if you love black culture, protect black lives. And then the other one has this large graphic of like a human silhouette and chains and the back reads, increase the peace, defund the police. So the t-shirts themselves also definitely like make a statement. So actually what we were saying earlier about people being able to buy the shirts without being behind the cause is not, maybe not totally true. Are you, are you sure the, the defund the police one is a Dev Hines collabo? I'm like- Oh no, yeah, you're right. Defund the police one is not a Dev Hines collabo. The blood orange one is- but money from both are going to correct. Yeah, yeah. Just to clarify, are going that. are going to be donated, and uh, the most recent stat is like in the headline, they're going to be able to donate one million dollars in peer donation. Uh, yeah, that's crazy, right? Think about oh, how totally crazy a brand like Brain Dead drops a million, and Supreme does what five hundred grand. Supreme donated, I think, yes, five hundred. Yes, yes, five hundred grand. At the time, he was up to five hundred. So he was saying more just like comparable. It's interesting the way Kyle like phrases his words, because again, he was like, I'm not trying to diss Supreme. I'm just trying to say thank you to like our supporters. We don't have the Supreme, you know, money or resources, but we got supporters who really love us. And I know it does still kind of read like a diss of Supreme to me. Which is okay. Which is okay. I mean, he also called out specifically the North Face, Carhartt, Converse, and Reebok as well on his Instagram. And he said, hey, like, you guys have collaborated with me before. Like, we've done, like, brain dead collaborations. Like, I want to know what you're going to do to keep helping. Like, I want to know how you're not just, like, collaborating with me, but how are you helping the community? Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. Like, I, I really, I just have a lot of admiration for that decision. Like, I don't think that's... <laughs> if, I, if I'm going to be very honest, this... I could see it just not really, how do I put this? I think the call out itself is valid, but I'm also not confident there'll be massive change. Like, I think there will be certain corporates that actually do enact broad sweeping changes, but it also requires just that right equation to be in place. You just have to make sure that, I say it, you just have to, like, it's easy, but it's, a byproduct of company culture meets the right people and these right people need to care enough about this to change it. 
Because ultimately, if this isn't your brand that you started, you're just there for the most part to... I'm, I'm going to kind of like go on, a, go on a whim here, but I think most people that work in corporate, not everyone is there because they live and breathe and die with the brand to the extent that they want to rock the boat. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They're there to mm-hmm. be in their lane to do their job. And not to say it starts and stops at 5 p.m. when they leave and when they enter at 9 a.m., but ultimately they're very much subservient to a different class of people as your shareholders, all that other stuff. And this is, this is what I think. This is why I think it's admirable. It's not because I think that the call out will make immediate change that therefore like Converse and North face are, are going to see that post and be like, Oh yeah, we got to do something for the community. What I think it is like brain dead is putting itself on the line, you know? So in the future, if there is like another brain dead North face or brain dead Converse collaboration, like his community knows, Hey, you guys said that you want these, brands to like support the community like what are you doing to make sure that's happening like how are you still collaborating with these brands without checking you know the work that they're doing or like the work that you could be doing together like that's why i think it's admirable basically it's like saying to your community hold me accountable this is what i think these big brands are doing like if i walk back on this like you guys are free to say hey look at look at this post that you made yeah 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 and i think it's a good question that cam wolf asks um towards the end of this interview is he says do you think collaborators and brands like yours have a responsibility to force systemic change like this and kyle says yeah i mean his whole answer is good i'll just read the end he said but then you really realize why am i not speaking up why am i so worried about that i'm an independent business i built my thing off ethics why would i stop now and that goes to like your whole owner operator and i think like just going off of what i said earlier about kyle's post calling out those brands is like maybe those brands don't self-examine themselves and see what they're going to do but if they're going to work with other small owner operator brands then it's on those smaller companies to be like hey i want to i want to make change so if you want to work with me like this is how we're going to do it yeah i think about that for us as well and there's a lot of things that are sort of coming to the forefront here for me. It's thinking about the intangible, tangible changes, tangible being money, right? Put that in the hands of the right people then. And that obviously has a big impact, but what are the intangible things? Cause for us as a, this quasi like independent, not even quasi, we are an independent publisher, right? It's not like we have a very direct, way to monetize and turn this into some sort of bigger initiative just yet. And what I mean by that is in the in the event of Brain Dead doing this, if they sell less t-shirts, they just donate less money, right? There's a very mm-hmm. clear definitive equation where more t-shirts sold equals more money donated. Mm-hmm. But for us it's like we don't have that tangible exchange of product. So does that mm-hmm. mean that if we want to make bigger change you have to kind of pull things back and reorientate them towards hey let me sell this product and then without because ultimately if you don't sell the product that means you donate zero dollars right yeah so it's like for me it's thinking about what are the other ways that you can actually be a participant within this for change and i mean ultimately it's media it's like messaging it's platform 
So well, you you said we don't sell a product, but actually we do. We do, but because not because we yeah, we sorry. sell the membership strategy. Like I I know we don't call it like selling that, but people right now are Patreon supporters and they give us money in exchange for something. The thing is not a tangible thing. Yeah. Right. But there is still like an exchange of money for goods, like Correct. money for so, service. Sorry. I was going to say that it, it goes back to my previous argument in that the exchange of a digital good versus a tangible good creates two different outcomes. Right. I think as you mentioned, when you have a very yeah. clear exchange of money for a product, people are much more likely to spend that five dollars. Yeah, I mean, for, yeah, if you're doing like a yeah. single, if you're doing like a one-off fundraising initi- initiative, yeah, sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but I, I think about like you know we've we've said this so much in private, so it always it kind of feels like I'm repeating myself. But obviously, our listeners are hearing this for the first time. We've talked about how for making making a difference for the black community isn't going to be donating large sums of money because we don't, like you said, we don't sell a product. We are not about to, we don't, we're not set up the same way brain dead is right. Yeah. To like release a one-off tea and like get that kind of traction. But we are known for telling stories that are less told or less read. And that's like where we have to focus the the change we're going to make. And it's just like less glamorous and it's more long-term because like right now we're talking about how do we change our editorial strategy and people aren't going to see the effects of that change yet. You know, yeah. like we don't have the bandwidth to suddenly whip up 10 stories today to, to publish in the next couple of weeks, but we can start planning to have those stories and release them over time yeah so oh here's a question for you in light of all the fundraising initiatives you've seen do you think that a percentage of proceeds or proceeds from the sales of xyz will go to this charity will be an ongoing thing and it will almost be like a baked in part of business as in you'll always need to be conscientious of taking profits to return it back to the community or a charity. Yeah, I think so. I see, I see that happening a lot with brands. Like not all of them are, you know, a hundred percent of proceeds, but there, I think long-term it makes sense to do some small percentage and keep it ongoing. Right. Like even if it's 5% of all your profits, that's still, that's still a ongoing commitment that consumers will understand like, Hey, that could have just gone into your pocket. Yep. And I think it's the right, I think it's definitely the right thing to do. I mean, like if you continue to participate in selling consumer goods, I just think like donating money is a really easy way to give back to the communities that you draw inspiration from the communities that you're part of that network. I think there is like, change that can take more work and like Kyle talks about it as well like he makes this suggestion you know the north face could raise money but they could also you know create a organization in climbing gyms that teaches kids how to climb and that takes more work but that's also really meaningful to do and i i would love to see brands start cooking up that kind of initiative as well yeah yeah 
one thing that I think is going to tip into your subject. And I'm going to quote from Kyle again. You know, he gets asked, you know, are, were you frustrated? Like what, what, at what point did you start getting frustrated with brands? And he said, I think there's just such a lack of sincerity for the people and not just towards the black community. I think the black community is a linchpin of what's happening. People are selling ethics and communities and culture. They don't build any real culture into their company. If you see someone in your neighborhood being attacked, you help out because that's your neighbor. You help paint your neighbor's place. You do all these things to help your neighbor. I don't have to think about it in my house and figure out the best paint to buy the neighbor. I'm out there. And I think what resonates with me in this is this idea like so many people in their copy write about ethics and communities and culture and so does Megan. Okay. Like I, I know that I've written copy for us that include communities and culture, if not the word ethics. And so like, if we're going to put that in our language, then we have to live it out. And like, that's what I keep asking myself. And you know, this like in private, like just continually checking, does what I say match up with what I do? And then in a brand's perspective, like does a company message match with the company's actions? I mean, ultimately you'll, we're just gonna have to see history play out, right? Like you're going to have to check in mentally, not, you know, it's like, what's, what are they doing in the next three months, six months, 12 months, et cetera, and see what the outcome of that is really. Yeah. And beyond. Yeah. It's crazy to think that we're already in the, like, it's in this sort of post moment phase. Like there's already been this like watershed moment where, you know, every headline globally was about the black lives matter movement in the States and the way the news cycle is like it's it's starting to move on, which is kind of scary, you know, like I didn't I don't really think it was going to move on. Um, and so, the, yeah, like you're saying, you know, we. I, I guess, like to put it on myself is like, how am I still continuing this conversation three, six months from now, one year, et cetera. Tell me what you want to talk about. Today, I'm going to talk about the Virgilization of Virgil Abloh. Obviously, Virgil Abloh is in this subject. It's not necessarily meant to only talk about him. It's more about the concept of Virgilization. Before you continue, do you remember our episode way back about Virgil Abloh? Refresh my memory. That was like one of our first episodes where I felt like our chemistry clicked. Really? Yeah. Like, like, not that we weren't friends before that, but it was about Virgil becoming the LV creative director and we had disagreements. And then I was like, oh, disagreeing is fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. We haven't had a disagreement as of late. I wonder why. I don't know. Anyways, this piece originated in something seen in the sociology of business, which is, I guess, a newsletter. Uh, the reason why it's hard to be like, oh, it's a newsletter is because it's a newsletter, but you can also go to the site and see the articles. It's writing. It's writing. It's, yeah. it's writing published at a regular frequency. Yeah. And the piece was written by Anna Angelic. And 
she has a, a very impressive resume. She was at a very various big brands helping oversee a lot of their marketing initiatives. So she she describes herself as a strategy executive or an executive brand consultant. Uh, she was the chief brand officer at Rebecca Minkoff. Uh, she was at the Future Tech Lab, uh, Sergio Rossi, Lueve, Tag Cure, the watch company, Sotheby's, Kit Nace, et cetera, et cetera. So the list actually is pretty extensive. And the thing that she talks about is virtualization. And what that refers to is a strategic transformation of an individual into an artist in order to de-emphasize the commercial nature of their output. Virtualization is a subcategory of artification that can happen throughout the entire value chain from conglomerates starting art foundations, buying auction houses, sponsoring exhibitions, to collaborating with artists on product creation, visual merchandising, and retail space. And most notably, she uses Virgil Abloh because I think he's probably the one that's most recent in regards to embarking on this strategy. There's other people that have done this in the past, include Coco Chanel. And and in the case of Virgil, some of the things he's done, obviously, he's worked with galleries, museums, and art institutions such as the Louvre and Gagosian. Throughout the conversation, what she refers, when she refers to this strategy, she says it's like a really smart business move. And it, in many ways, revives a level of authenticity around the personality. Because I think there was a point in time when perhaps Virgil, as he started to do more and more projects, put out more and more product, it risked becoming overly commercial, right? So by virtue of steering this lane into the world of art, he now has a justification for the stuff he puts out because it's art, not like product or commerce. But I want to ask, like, is there any chance that there are designers who really do become artists? I think there are, but I also argue that the layer that keeps Virgil in the realm of not necessarily full-on art is that he always has such a strong commercial component with the product, right? Because I think product at scale, at his scale, is generally speaking not art, although it can be seen as artful. I mean, and I suppose what I suppose what Anna Angelic is also saying is like, a very conscious decision by institutions to do this. Yeah. In the sense that like museums and Louis Vuitton are kind of in on this together to like make this happen. Yeah. Versus I guess what my question was, was like maybe a designer does choose to be an artist instead. I don't know though, because designers and quote unquote creatives are often in a different type of business in the, in terms of how they make money for the most part. Like, right. I think that, I don't know if, I maybe someone would argue differently. What about but like Arsham? I think Arsham is starting to teeter that line because I think he started off as someone that had uh, reduced scale, right? And then now he's obviously found a lane that has enabled him to increase scale in terms of not size of the things he creates, but rather the scale of his product and how many people can touch his product right i mean like the uniqlo collaboration for or example adidas or whatever it may be anna also references chanel's past where they created art exhibitions to elevate their product and put it front and center into art movements and these opportunities created cultural capital that helped promote growth so i think that's a really interesting way because 
I agree. You're sort of de-emphasizing the commercial nature. I almost think that there are other political motives behind this too. When a drug company sponsors an art initiative, right? What was the one? Yeah. The the family does the opiates. We uh, talked. Sackler. Yeah, like that's a great example, right? Where here yeah. you are, like killing people on one hand, but oh, but we're we're for the culture and we're for the community by donating money to art institutions. Yeah, man, that's a hard one. Yeah. I feel like we talked about the Sackler family, but just going to bring it up for everyone again. If you want to look it up, they own Purdue Pharma. They are one of America's richest families, which is saying a lot. And you should also look up Nan Golden if you're doing a Google search, because Nan Golden's really been this like head of artists protesting against museums that take Sackler money. Yeah. And basically saying like, you can't be killing people on the one hand and then also support art on the other hand. Well, you can do it, but I'm just saying it's like, well, I mean, it matches wrong. up with what I said about Kyle Ng or what Kyle Ng said. Like it, it looks real contradictory to be celebrating arts and creativity and humanity. And then behind your back, keeping the opioid crisis going. Yeah. I, like, obviously, like, those two things are in coexistence, but they really do not look like they match. Yeah. Yeah. So, on the flip side of this whole virtualization of a personality, there is the very real chance that you, that you alienate customers. So, I would argue that art follows a very different sort of price movement, right, than commodified or scale products. So, if I create one piece of artwork... The price of it is based off of the willingness for someone to buy it versus it's a little bit harder to control that when there's increased scale. Yeah. Right. Yep. 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 Price discovery is a lot different. Um, You were saying about alienation of customers. In terms of alienation of customers. Yeah. There's the chance that as people grow with you, they at some point they might have to hop off because they can't afford your product. And I think, there's something interesting about this because as this virtualization probably something that will increase, although you could argue that not that many people have the capabilities of, of doing this, right, of engaging in this, that I think more people will recognize that, hey, you know what, in reality, this is something that is a very calculated move. For you, Sharice, for someone that has been on the design slash creative side, do you have any personal interest in becoming an artist or putting out a piece of artwork? And I think that the reason I ask this question is that it's very interesting to see like the trajectory of somebody and knowing at what point this becomes a business move versus it becomes a personal passion move, or maybe there's a bit of both. Well, first of all, I don't think Virgil makes his own decisions anymore. Like, I don't think Virgil the person is making his decisions to be artified. Or not like I think this is a this is like a company decision. No, but he's operating a lot on his own volition. Like he's not doing this with LVMH. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think, anyways. But you were going back to what I said earlier about like whether I think a designer would just pick to be an artist. So like, is the question in Virgil's mind is he really trying to be an artist, or is he just like very cunningly doing this artification of his commercial projects yeah. so that he can continue to have cultural capital? Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of projects that are coming across his desk and he has the ability to decide whether he wants to do it or not and obviously he has a lot of resources behind him now that allow him to take on more so maybe by virtue of that you know 
Well, maybe he senses the disconnect. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he senses that disconnection between him and his former fan base. And he thinks that the way back into the opinion he wants people to have of him is to go the artistic route. Yeah. To like buck that capitalism commercial product feeling people have around him. Yeah. I was going to say anecdotally, since you asked me personally, it's funny enough because I literally have a tab open right now for boom, uh, boom with, I don't know how many O's do you ever say boom? No. Boom with seven O's, um, run by our friend Jeff Hamada and they have an open call right now for photos for a photo book. I think it's the third one in a series that Jeff's been doing called small victories. And I saw the open call and I was like, oh, actually, maybe I would like to submit some photos. And I haven't like interrogated myself as to why, but I guess what you says, it could be like just a side passion project. I have photos that I have taken and I do nothing with them, quite literally nothing with them. And it, it felt nice to like respond to a prompt. I mean, maybe it's because I work as not a freelancer anymore. I don't know, this is like more introspection than I thought I'd be getting into. It's possible that I've been more attracted to these projects because I I work a full-time job now. Yeah. What about you? Do you wanna be an artist? Not really. I have interest in putting ideas out in the world on a sort of artist level, but you could, I wouldn't be me, myself, and I. Not to say that all artists are doing this independently, it's more that, it would need to be me and like a team, right? Because I'm not really a painter. I'm not really any of these things. So I wonder if that detracts like maybe, oh, Eugene's an installation artist. Like maybe, but you I don't You are know. a photographer. But I don't know, man. I think, sure, I take photos. There's a difference between a photographer and someone who takes photos, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't like to bash myself into some, something that some people work extremely hard at, you know? That's fair. Yeah. I have a question for you. I was wondering what you think of Anna's conclusion in this piece where she talks about how she thinks luxury fashion and art could do better. It's interesting because this came up in a conversation I had just a few hours ago or this thread I came across on Twitter. And it was a piece shared by Aria Hughes that was in Complex titled, There's a Reckoning Happening in Streetwear and it's Long Overdue. And this in itself is not a direct answer to what is mentioned by by Anna in her piece. But it's just interesting timing that you yeah, read it's just this. Interesting timing. Yeah. So the complex piece talks a lot about the consumption habits of streetwear street culture. It discusses the sort of the capitalistic machine that's at work here. And it tied back into this piece I read yesterday in The Truth Out, which talked about racist violence can't be separated from the violence of neoliberal capitalism. So basically how racism is baked into the neoliberal model itself. So the way I see it is within the sort of neoliberalist game, it's like the world equates your seat or your voice with how much money you have. Black people due to systemic issues have less resources and it's more difficult for them to start businesses and create wealth for themselves. So they're stuck in this vicious cycle, right? And as Anna put it in her piece, Rather than virgilizing Virgil Abloh, a single person, both luxury fashion and art would do better with funds, accelerators, education, access, and opportunities for many. Which I totally agree with because 
I've used this this saying like a few times in the last few days, but it's like basically if you don't teach people how to do it, then they're always going to be subservient, right? It's kind of like, oh, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, and then like beat him for a lifetime. I'm not laughing because of the beating. What? I just saw that coming from like a mile away. Sorry, continue. If you teach a man to fish. <laughs> feed him for a if day. If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man a fish, you feed, feed him, him for, for a lifetime. lifetime. Which I think is really important. It's how do you build these systems and foundations in place? Otherwise, you're always subservient to the system and or you just have minimal impact. Yeah. Right? No. Hey, it's happened into what I said about Kyle and, and those donations right it's not just about giving money it's like how do you change the system itself yeah was there anything else you wanted to add about the truth out and complex pieces no i I think that's roughly the whole premise behind it is like tackling systemic racism actually is far beyond just the the cultural aspect right the societal aspect there's like Obviously, politics, economy, uh, a lot of things all sort of intertwined. And I've found it rather complicated, but in a good way to kind of untangle things. Because I've always looked at it this, it's that, why are there so few black businesses, right? And like, my friend Joa, who started Localer, had, has been sort of this, this mouthpiece for the challenges that black founders go through. They just have a lot more difficulty raising money because if you have on paper you know certain people the person with the best resume doesn't always win in the game of fundraising yeah yeah i mean and also what you said about systemically like the way the cycle is is that they have just been socioeconomically like kept down you know so it's that whole analogy you, you said we've all probably seen about that like race where they start off like 10 steps back. Yeah. Um, but I think what I wanted to, I, we don't have to open this up like so broadly, you know, I mean, we could talk forever, but in thinking about today's podcast and like about this reading we've been doing and all this talking we've been doing, I just really questioned myself like, well, what is the point of publishing <laughs> like this episode or like what Eugene and I, think on these subjects and in order to like you know press forward and be like yeah Eugene we gotta keep doing making it up we gotta talk about this stuff I feel like I don't know who's listening and I hope that like one person listening hears this and it changes like a decision they make and like I can't know for sure like that happens, but it's because like that possibility exists. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about you, like how you feel about it. I mean, this is, this kind of goes back to what change we can make. It's about helping people understand and educate the tools and the systems in place and how to either overcome the system, work within the system, because sometimes it's very difficult to just fully upend the system you kind of have to integrate yourself into the system and destroy it from the inside out versus directly attacking it and i do think that if there were certain demographics that had you know 
more of a say, more of a voice, then I think they would have a better shot at dismantling it. Um, it's not to say it's the only way. I think that it's just that in this world that is overtly run by capitalism, your participation and understanding and having the ability to dictate it is so important because everyone, even, I mean, most most consumers recognize that, oh, vote with your wallet, right? It's the role that money plays in our systems and our in our lives that until you have the ability to infiltrate in that capacity, it's always going to be very challenging. Anything else you want to add? No, I think that's everything. I think that is a good place to cap things off for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at Macon.com, M-A-E-K-A-N.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. And if you really like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by supporting us on Patreon. Yes. We have several tiers. You should go check us out on patreon.com slash Macon. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Sharice at Macon.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, or Eugene at Eugene at Macon.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. We love hearing from you, and especially right now, I feel like the more perspectives I get, the better informed I am. So email us. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up. 